Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight's readings come from American Big Game Hunting, the book of the Boone and Crockett Club, written in the early 20th century. It's a good read and looks at how life was in the early 1900s. The book is by various authors and the editors are George Bird Grinnell and Theodore Roosevelt. Enjoy listening. If you have been enjoying the episodes and the stories, I'd really love to hear from you. Please jump into the podcast app that you're listening on and leave a comment, like it, say hello, or let me know if you're getting sleepy from the stories. Now, let's get into the story for tonight. We're going to first read from the preface of American Big Game Hunting. The first volume, published by the Boone and Crockett Club, under the title American Big Game Hunting, confined itself, as its title implied, to sport on this continent. In presenting the second volume, a number of sketches are included written by members who have hunted big game in other lands. The contribution of those whose names are so well known in connection with explorations in China and Tibet and in Africa have an exceptional interest for men whose use of the rifle has been confined entirely to the North American continent. During the two years that have elapsed since the appearance of its last volume, the Boone and Crockett Club has not been idle. The activity of its members was largely instrumental in securing, at last, the passage by Congress of an act to protect the Yellowstone National Park and to punish crimes and offences within its borders, though it may be questioned whether even their efforts would have had any result had not the public interest been aroused and the congressional conscience prickled by the wholesale slaughter of Buffalo, which took place in the park in March 1894, 
as elsewhere detailed by Captain Anderson and the editors. Besides this, the club has secured the passage by the New York Legislature of an act incorporating the New York Zoological Society and a considerable representation of the club is found in the list of its officers and managers. Other efforts made by Boone and Crockett members in behalf of game and forest protection have been less successful and there is still a wide field for the club's activities. Public sentiment should be aroused on the general question of forest preservation, and especially in the matter of securing legislation which will adequately protect the game and the forests of the various forest reservations already established. Special attention was called to this point in the earlier volume published by the club, from which we quote, If it was worthwhile to establish these reservations, it is worthwhile to protect them. A general law providing for the adequate guarding of all such national possessions should be enacted by Congress, and whether it may be necessary such federal laws should be supplemented by laws of the states in which the reservations lie. The timber and the game ought to be made the absolute property of the government, and it should be constituted a punishable offence to appropriate such property within the limits of the reservation. The game and timber on a reservation should be regarded as government property, just as are the mules and cordwood at any army post. If it is a crime to take the latter, it should be a crime to plunder a forest reservation. In these reservations is to be found today every species of large game known to the United States, and the proper protection of the reservations means the perpetuating in full supply of all the indigenous mammals. In this care is provided no species of American large game need ever become absolutely extinct. And intelligent effort for game protection may be well directed towards securing through national 
legislation. The policing of forest preserves by timber and game wardens. A really remarkable phenomenon in American animal life. Described in the paper on the Yellowstone Park Protection Act is the attitude now assumed toward mankind by the bears, both grizzly and black, in the Yellowstone National Park. The preservation of the game in the park has unexpectedly resulted in turning a great many of the bears into scavengers for the hotels within the park limits. Their tameness and familiarity are astonishing. They act much more like hogs than beasts of prey. Naturalists now have a chance of studying their character from an entirely new standpoint and under entirely new conditions. It would be well worth the while of any student of nature to devote an entire season in the park simply to study of bare life. Never before has such an opportunity been afforded. The incident mentioned on page 421 was witnessed by Mr. W. Hallett Phillips and Colonel John Hay. Since this incident occurred, one bear has made a practice of going into the kitchen of the Geyser Hotel, where he is fed on pies. If given a chance, the bears will eat the pigs that are kept in pens near the hotels, but they have not shown any tendency to molest the horses or to interfere in any way with human beings around the hotels. These incidents and the confidence which the elk, deer, and other animals in the park have come to feel in man are interesting for they show how readily wild creatures may be taught to look upon human beings as friends. Theodore Roosevelt, George Bird Grinnell, New York, August 1st, 1895. And that might be the end of the preface. However, we will be continuing on with additional chapters of the book over the next few nights. But I'm going to continue on this episode with a little snippet from a book by George Bird Grinnell and the First Audubon Society, titled Spare the Birds. Carolyn Merchant. It's likely that we will return to this book at another stage to cover readings. However, the preface from this book reads... When Explorer 
and conservationist George Bird Grinnell started the Audubon magazine in 1887, a year after he founded the Audubon Society. He introduced each issue with an editorial that he wrote about himself and the life and character of John James Audubon. 1787-1851. To bring birds to the public's attention, he also chose one of Audubon's bird paintings, which he himself described as a special feature of each issue. Grinnell's knowledge of Audubon was deeply influenced by his experiences growing up on Audubon's estate in New York City, where he attended the school taught by Audubon's widow, Lucy. The impact of Lucy, John James, and their two sons on Grinnell's desire to preserve wildlife was profound and is reflected in Grinnell's work. The Audubon magazine, however, lasted only two years, after which, for practical reasons, Grinnell felt obliged to dissolve both the society and the journal. But within five years, women, along with men, took on leadership roles in reviving the Audubon movement. In this book, I analyse Grinnell's work to found the 1886 Audubon Society. His publication of the Audubon magazine and the gendered issues underlying his role in saving avifauna. A major goal of the following text is to reprint Grinnell's serialised biography of Audubon and other writings in the magazine, making them available to the public and to interpret them in the context of Grinnell's achievements. A primary reason that Grinnell's biography of Audubon has not been recognised as such is that Grinnell was the sole editor of the Audubon magazine and his editorials were unsigned. In fact, from the time that Grinnell took over the editorship of Forest and Stream in 1880, after having moved up in 1876, from his position as its natural history editor, he made its practice not to sign his editorials. He strongly believed, according to Grinnell historian John Rieger, that as editor he should not add his name, as doing so would personalise the content and thereby 
detract from the authority of the magazine itself. He was scrupulous, however, in attributing other articles and letters in both magazines to their authors. In his editorials, he also carefully placed selections from other authors in quotation marks. That's the end of American Big Game and Spare the Birds, the preface from both books. We'll return to more readings tomorrow night from American Big Game Hunting, the book of the Boone and Crockett Club. Hope you're feeling sleepy, and if you want to listen to more, please go back to some of the other episodes and enjoy listening, and hopefully you feel a bit relaxed. Thank you, and good night.